one thing I literally hate, center of attention. And I'm literally center of attention. <clears throat> Good morning, if you are not familiar with who I am. Uh, my name is Mike Luna. I'm one of the elders here at Church in the Square. Uh, specifically, I oversee groups and staff. So the last time I spoke is about a year ago. But it was um, actually it was Super Bowl Sunday, January 5th, 2020. I'm sure if you were here, you remember that. Had some things to say. And a lot has happened since then. Your world, my world, our world is completely different. Obviously, we're still in a pandemic. But outside of the pandemic, though, for me, what has gone on over the last year, first, I was diagnosed earlier in February with autism and executive function disorder. It's wild, right? At 41 years old, getting that diagnosis, that was a tough one to take. Also, I don't know if you are aware, part of my autism is I don't have the ability to assume, which is great. But if you're not aware, in the US and Canada, there are these things called residential schools that they used to send children that look like me. They would forcibly remove these native children from their reserves and reservations in US and Canada and forcibly assimilate them abusively to colonize American and Canadian culture. And they've been finding mass graves and unmarked graves this last year. Right now, they have found upwards of 1,600 children. Children. The youngest they've found is three years old. These schools, these institutions had a motto Kill the Indian, save the man. And actually, the majority of the 1,300 of these children were found in Canada. They've only started looking here in the US. In Carlisle, Pennsylvania, they have found 300 of these children in this mass grave. Just as recent as Friday, six of these children that they found finally got to go back to the reservation in South Dakota to be buried with their community. And fam, this is not some ancient, we're not talking hundreds of years. The last school closed in 1996. The survivors, survivors of a school still live today. You can go see documentaries about this. Like It's been talked about. And the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, decided to open an investigation here in the US. A total of 360 schools here in the US. That's double what they found in Canada, or what they have in Canada. They're probably gonna find tens of thousands, if not 100,000 of my ancestors, children, aunts, uncles, And lastly, just to sum up my year, for the last 18 months, just three weeks ago, on the corner of Central Park in Cortland, I was pulled over by six cops for an expired tag. And I'm not gonna relive that trauma, but I'll tell you right now, I have never been scared for my life more ever 
And I'm starting with all this today because I believe you all need to know the perspective of which I'm speaking through today. So let's open up the word. Romans 5, 15 through 17 reads like this. But the grace is not like the trespass. For if many died one man's <clears throat> through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the grace by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the grace following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Lord, well, first help me, please. And then help all of us to listen with open ears and soft hearts for what you would have to say to us today. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So yes, I changed a word in the passage. I used the more literal and direct translation of charisma, but the gift. <clears throat> and the reason I did this is that throughout the passage, it constantly is referring, like Paul's constantly using that, and he's constantly comparing Jesus to Adam. And in the way he is referring to Jesus as charisma, which is the Greek for grace, charis. See, Jesus is the perfect grace. And just a side note, this is about as intellectual and lecture as I'm going to get today. Just in case some of you are asking, like, what does this dude think he is, that he could just change what the Bible says? First, I didn't. I actually gave a more literal translation. And I'll just give you a quick run of my educational background, just so you know I'm not just being flipping with this. I have a Master's of Arts degree from Redeemer Seminary, which is now Reformed Seminary. I have a Master's, an MA in Religion with a focus on Biblical Languages. And the way that worked was when I have a year and a half of just language, before I even touched the Bible, I just had a year and a half of Greek and Hebrew. The Koine Greek for the New Testament and the Davidic Hebrew for the Old Testament. And then I spent an entire semester just learning syntax and grammar. And then we got to the scriptures. And then even that, my classes, my Bible classes, if it was Old Testament, we just did it in Hebrew, no English translations. And then in, for New Testament classes, it was just Greek, no English translations. So that's where I'm coming from. And that's why I felt okay to, to make that change. And as I mentioned, Paul is in the middle of comparing Adam and Jesus. Their differences are what stand out the most in this passage. So let's start with Adam. Adam brought sin into the world. Genesis, <clears throat> Genesis 3, 1 through 8, reads like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, 
Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will, not, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Underline, circle, whatever, mark, you will be like God. We're going to be coming back to that later. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes, both, <clears throat> then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You want to paraphrase a little bit here? The passage goes on to talk about how God came into the garden looking for Adam specifically. And they have a whole dialogue about what just happened. Where Adam even, he tries to blame Eve, which is pretty messed up. And God asks Adam, where are you? And Adam's like, I'm hiding because I'm naked. We made some clothes out of leaves and a loincloth. God is like, how did you know you are naked? Busted. Caught. Guilty. And ever since then, we've kept trying to be like God. But how good is it that the grace is not like the trespass? Rather, what the grace did was impute the righteousness needed for us to be reconciled to God. So Jesus brings righteousness. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's real short. It just says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this concept always has me shook. Like we are made righteous, aka right, reconciled to God through Jesus. And we didn't have to make up for anything, we didn't have to repay anything. That's hard. That's, 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 I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I go after things. I want to earn things. This one, this one's very, this is, this is a difficult concept for me to, to accept. And we can't repay for our sins. The price is too high. Jesus did what we could not do. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially, and the big one, he rose from the dead three days later. We can't do that. Once we die three later, guess what? We are still dead. Nobody in this room is getting up out of the grave in three days. But we try to be self-righteous and fail a lot. And this really shows up in me when someone feels the need to, to attack Church in the Square. See, if someone feels the need to talk noise about Church in the Square, I can get real self-righteous real quick, especially when it comes to our other elders. See, Jason and Juan are like brothers to me. They know things about me that nobody else on this entire planet knows. There's not some big secret, so there's no like big reveal or anything. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You have those friends that would do anything for you. 
So for me, I have to remind myself that they belong to the Lord. I'm not their savior. Don't get me wrong, you come at them, I have no problems having an uncomfortable conversation with you about it. But I feel it needs to happen. But even in that, they don't need or even ask for my righteousness because my righteousness in of itself can't do anything. Only Jesus' righteousness, righteousness can. See, one of the things about me that is different, that is not the same as neurotypical people, is I do not have the ability to read body language unless it is what I would recognize as obvious. So even right now in this moment, I have no idea what any of you are thinking, feeling, if this is making sense, not making sense, I have no idea. And the amount of anxiety that that's creating for me right now, whew. But because of how, this is how my mind works, even for this, it, it says to research, like I'm back in seminary, to make sure I don't miss anything, and if I'm going to take risks, I go and look out all the arguments, all the whatever, in like, et cetera, just to make sure I'm ready. And see, I want to depend on my knowledge and my work to be my righteousness, not the work of Jesus and his death and resurrection. See, it goes back to Genesis 3, wanting to be like God. I don't know why we do it. All that really does is bring judgment on ourselves. If we live our lives like we are pursuing to be like God, to replace God, it will only bring judgment on us. Let me say that again. If we live our lives like we are pursuing to be like God, to replace God, it will only bring judgment on us. See, Adam brought this judgment. We're going to go back to Genesis 3. You know, so God was just, just got done talking with the serpent and Eve. Now he's talking to Adam. And one of the like, real nerdy things I'm into is like anything law. Especially over like the last few years, all these like investigations, government and all that stuff. Like, I don't know, information is just like a thing for me. And one of the things I've noticed in these investigations is that the person of interest, the person that the investigation is focused on is always the last one to be interviewed. And that is the case here. God just got done talking, just got done, really just got done dropping the hammer on Satan and Eve, and now it's Adam. So Genesis 3, 14 and 19 read like this. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. This is one of the, I can't imagine being told this, like to my face, what I'm about to read right now. For you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Like, do we get that? Do we understand that concept of who we truly are? We are dust. We definitely think way too highly of ourselves sometimes. 
It's not that judgment is still not to come. It's coming for sure, but only for those who are not in Christ. Matthew 7, 21 and 23 read, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But thankfully, it doesn't end there. Thankfully, that is not <clears throat> meant for all of us because Jesus brings grace. Back to Romans 5 and 16. And the grace is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the grace following many trespasses brought justification. And see, Jesus, all throughout the scriptures, there's a lot of examples of, of Jesus extending grace to people, but one that rarely gets talked about in this filter lens of grace is in Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Like I said, there are so many other places that are commonly used to portray the grace extended to us in the scriptures, but I just kept coming back to this. Imagine the scene in the middle of his death sentence, this criminal receives the ultimate grace by the one who is the perfect incarnation of grace. That is what amazing grace looks like. The grace is so amazing because it was what was needed. Our next comparison Adam brought death. In Adam's disobedience and pursuit to be like God, he sinned, and one of the consequences is that death was introduced. It'd be real easy for me to go to Romans 6 right now, but no spoilers. I'm just kidding. Romans 6.23 reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the grace of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you didn't, don't know what I'm joking about, we've been in Romans for 10 years already. One thing I do want to point out here is Adam was responsible for his community. Him and Eve. See, his sin was not just what he did, but what he allowed to happen, what he didn't do. What he would benefit from without doing it. 
Let me say that again, what he would benefit from without doing it. In his sin, he brought a death sentence, not just to himself, but to Eve. And this is how serious it is, fam. In one generation, in one generation, the second generation of humans on this earth, Adam's own son would kill his other son. Cain would murder Abel. The pursuit of being like God to replace God. Thankfully, we don't stop with that first half of Romans 6.23. Back to Romans 5.17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's look at John 10, 7 through 10. Side note, group leaders, you're welcome. I'm answering all the questions. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus brings life. And I know this passage has been abused so much about financial wealth, getting your blessings, whatever, fill in the blank. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Abundantly needs to be considered as bigger than myself. See, Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is to be bigger than, we, than we, can, we could ever be if we were to be his disciples and follow him. Even here at Church in the Square, man, the, the last year's evidence of what that abundant life we are called to live can look like. Fam, we've, like, we've been able to pay for people's rent. We literally were able to help people not become homeless. Let that sink in. We were able to provide food for families and people, bills, rides. That's abundant life. But see, also, this abundant life means listening to one another. Truly listening to one another. See, we must not go off into our own silos and only listen to perspectives we are familiar with. And this next scripture, I'm going to try and fit this in every time I'm up here to preach my once a year. Until we, Church in the Square, can live this out daily. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all, not some, all, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the, the nice things about having me preach is I get done really, really quick. And we're there, fam. (laughs) 
trying to figure out if it's emotion or autism. <clears throat> I just want to end with this. I just want to talk to the people that are hurting. They've been hurting for the last year and a half. Because trust me, I know what that's like. Nervous tick. Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 reads this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, if that doesn't describe 2020. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, I resonate with the first half of this passage in that so many things for me has felt like a thorn in my side for the last year and a half, and I've been asking God to take these things from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <clears throat>